0: Morning, everyone. So good to have you on this Easter Sunday morning. This is the most amazing time of the year because of what it represents. Let me read to you. Abraham Lincoln's casket, we are told, was opened in 1901. It was opened because they feared that his body was not there. But I want to let you know that Christ's tomb, it was opened to prove that he is not there. So listen, happy Easter to you. He is risen, the cornerstone of our faith. Hey, listen, I want to speak to you today about the resurrection, of course, on this Easter Sunday. You've heard, I'm sure, or even used probably the phrase, the elephant in the room, or some say the elephant in the living room. It is a metaphorical idiom in English. And we we know what it means. It means that there are certain topics that are sensitive, that that are there. They're looming but we avoid those topics maybe because of political sensitivity or social sensitivity or maybe they're uh, embarrassing or controversial topics. And so they're, they're obvious thing that nobody talks about. I asked Google this this week a question. Do other cultures have this kind of idiom phrase in their language? Well I, I got a couple of hits here and this is really cute. Estonia they go really easy on the elephants, but they have a phrase that means basically the same thing. Their phrase, when translated, is "one doesn't mention a rope in the house of a hanged man," is the translation. And so I suppose that that would be uh, subjects with unpleasant connotations should be avoided. The the Finnish they have uh, an, they they say an elephant in the porcelain shop, but really that's akin to our phrase, like a bull in a china shop. And so that's more about being clumsy and knocking things over and creating havoc. But they do have a comparable phrase and their phrase is a hippopotamus in a living room. Now that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. No, I'm just kidding. So they have a hippopotamus in the living room. This uh, Easter Sunday, we can address an ultimate elephant in the room, and it's something that we so often don't want to talk about. I looked up this week from Canadian Legal Wills website, and the question, why do people not make out their wills? And there were several reasons that they listed. I'll give them to you. Uh, Many think that it's gonna be way too expensive, Uh, Some believe there's a bit of a superstition connected to it that if they make up their will, out their wills, somehow that's going to speed up their death. Um, There's a huge procrastination factor. But the number one reason they listed as not making out your will, the primary reason, is people don't want to face their own mortality. The elephant in the room. Death is mostly a very taboo subject they go on to say we avoid generally the discussion altogether. Most people do not like to think about their own mortality or about having to face the death of a family member. We all know that one day our time will come, yet many of us, we just don't want to think about it. It was about 20 years ago that I visited Jill. When I visited her, she was very, very ill. She was, she was thin, she was weak and she was feeble and i remember how delighted i was to be able to meet and talk with this beautiful lady when i left it was an exhilarating conversation for her i believe it was so important for her and do you know what we talked about we talked about the elephant in the room it is the top we talked about death we talked about her dying her family wouldn't talk about it. They would come and they would act like nothing was wrong. They would act like she wasn't sick. They would act like she was just fine. And nobody would talk about the thing that she really wanted to talk about. Because it was painful to them, but it was causing pain to her. They acted like it didn't exist. She saw the elephant in the room. And we were able to talk about it. It's Easter. And we can talk about if you will, this elephant in the room. Your day will come. Do you know that the death rate is is one per person? The death rate is one per person. Traditionally, Easter has been a time of joke telling. Now, that may seem like an odd thing to insert into this moment, but it has because in many ways, Easter is considered that God played the ultimate joke on the enemy who thought he had won over Christ and, and Jesus won after all. So I'm going to tell you a joke in light of that. Did you hear about the plane that crashed in the cemetery? Well, we're told that the search and rescue workers have required 200, recovered 220 bodies and they expect the number to climb as digging continues into the night. There you go. There's your Easter joke. The death rate is one per person. Here's our scripture. This is what the Bible says. It is appointed unto man, to people, once to die, and then face the judgment. In other words, we're going to die and there's an accountability for this life. That is a hugely sobering thought. There's accountability that comes after our life here. Vody Bachman Jr., he said this, so everyone everywhere is asking or will ask the same question, he says. How can I avoid being defeated by that last enemy? You can't beat him, he says. You can't buy him off. You can't appease him. You can't, he says, outrun him. There is nothing you can do to avoid being overtaken by this enemy. So this is where my conversation with Jill comes to my mind. But he says, the resurrection says, you can overcome this enemy. Oh, death, where is your sting? You see, when you stand over a believer, it's not the same as standing over an unbeliever. Because when you stand over a believer, you know that because of his or her union with Christ, the federal head of their life, they will rise just as Christ rose from the dead. There is a resurrection coming, he says. So this sting is gone. Death's victory is gone. Jill looked at the elephant. She looked him directly in the eye. She exposed, and with her hope in Christ, it no longer took any space up in her small apartment. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory, says the Apostle Paul. Where o oh death is your sting? The sting of death, he said is sin. Sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the good news of the gospel? What really is the good news of the gospel? What is the central topic of Christianity? I don't know who all is watching here. Many of you may have embraced Christ. Some of you may be exploring and Thinking or or looking into the claims of Christ. Um, Every sermon in Acts, now that's quite a statement when when anybody says every or all. Every sermon in Acts and throughout the book, the good news of the gospel was the resurrection of Christ and the consequences of that resurrection. That was the central theme. That is the central theme of Christianity, and it was the central theme of the book of Acts. So let's read Acts chapter 1, verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Acts chapter 2, verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Acts 2:32 as Peter continues to preach to the crowds at Pentecost, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Acts chapter 4 verse 10. This then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you, healed. Let's keep going. Acts chapter 4, 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Acts five twenty nine, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. It's all through the book. You just see it everywhere. The Greek word for resurrection is anastasis. And it means a standing up again is what it means. It means a resurrection from death or to rise from the dead. Anastasis. So let's go to where it's used, for instance, many places. John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus says to Martha, Martha. Now remember the context here. He's coming. Lazarus, her brother, has died, friend of Jesus. He's passed away. He's four days passed away. And she comes, and they're distraught. And if only you'd been here, Jesus, he would not have died. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, I am the Anastasis. I am the resurrection and the life, even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die, he says. Whoever believes in me will never die. In me, Martha. Lazarus will stand up again. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Miracles, he says to preach Christianity meant primarily to preach the resurrection. The people who heard Paul's teaching at Athens, he says they got the impression that he was talking about two new gods, Jesus and Anastasis. (laughs) Let's read the, the scripture. Acts chapter 17, verse 18. What is this babbler trying to say? They're speaking about Paul who's been talking with them and proclaiming Christ. What's he trying to say? Others remark, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Jesus was preaching the good news about Jesus and the Anastasis uh, and the resurrection. The resurrection goes, C.S. Lewis continues, the resurrection and its consequences were the gospel. They were the good news. He goes on, we think that the Gospels, the narrative of Jesus' life, we think that was the first message. The first message was that Jesus died and rose again. And the writing of the four Gospels came later. They came as a result. The narrative of Jesus' life came as a result of those who embraced the fact that Jesus did die and Jesus raised again. The good news is eternal life through Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. Did you hear the quote of C.S. Lewis, the resurrection and its consequences were the gospel. They were the good news. The resurrection has consequences and they're amazing for those who embrace it, for you and for me. Here's the consequences of the resurrection. Because he raised from the dead, so will you, and so will I, who believe. Because he raised from the dead, we will raise from the dead. That's a pretty big consequence. The one who believes in me, said Jesus, will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. The consequence of the resurrection, secondly, is we can't ignore what Jesus said. Now, just follow me just for a moment, okay? First of all, because he was raised from the dead, so will I. But secondly, because of the resurrection, we really can't ignore what he said. Let me give you a quote that maybe will clear up that statement. Author Timothy Timothy Keller, he says, If Jesus rose from the dead, let me say it again. Keller says, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything he said? If he rose from the dead, if if he resurrected, and this has taken place in all of human history, this amazing, miraculous, we know that that is impossible. We know that that's illogical. Jesus said what is impossible with man is not impossible. With God. If he raised from the dead, we are forced to take, stand up, and take attention to what he said. But if he didn't rise, why worry about it? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Here's what the apostle Paul says, and we're going to read some scripture here some more. First Corinthians 15, 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Paul gave his life and his final breath to it. The apostles and many of those who embraced Christ at the time who were there were witnesses. If they had only recanted, they could have made it so much easier on themselves. There were many that were martyred for this, but they would not because they were eyewitnesses to this. And Paul says, but Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And Paul's just getting going here. It's almost like he's been writing, he's been recording these things. And now it's like he has this explosion of praise because this is the best news in the world. Verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. After he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death will be destroyed because of the resurrection of Christ. It's what movies have been made of. Books have been ra- uh, written about. People have dreamed and longed and tried to extend somehow their, their mortality to reach immortality. And Jesus won. George Burner Research Center, they do uh, research in the States. They've recently, in the last few years, uh, come to Canada and begun that research here. They did a recent study of even Christian youth, and uh, it was quite disturbing. There was a 60 percentile of Christian youth that were questioning the resurrection. Listen, whether you are 100 years old or whether you're 11 years old, I want to tell you something. Without the resurrection, we got nothing. (laughs) Without the resurrection, we got nothing. We're, We're a social club. We might as well go curling, and that's a good thing, but Because of Christ. Wow. Because of Christ. H.A. Ironside, a yesteryear preacher, he has a quote. The gospel is the gospel of the risen Christ. There would be no gospel for sinners if Christ had not been raised. There was a uh, British minister, W.E. Sangster, and uh, he was sick. And it reminds me of my mom's illness with, with ALS, which is, which is so difficult. So he began to lose his voice and began to lose his mobility in the 1950s. And the disease that caused this muscular degenerate atrophy, it threw him at the beginning into writing and to, to praying. His voice eventually failed completely. His legs became useless. And we're told that on Easter morning, just a few weeks before he passed, He was able to take a pen and he was able to very shakily write a letter to his daughter. And this is what he said. It is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout, He is risen. But then he says, but it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. It reminded me of my mom because I remember her saying, and she was in a wheelchair, she lost her ability to use her legs and her arms, and she had to be cared for almost completely. And I remember her saying, I would much rather be in this wheelchair and know Jesus than to be healthy and walking around like so many that I see and not know Jesus. That's quite a statement. That's quite a testimonial from my own family. That's quite a testimonial from Sangster. And that is the power of this hope. When we say he is risen, we are talking about our own eternal existence. He created a place called heaven, and it is available for everyone who will embrace the message of the cross. He died for you and He died for me. Hallelujah. Paul prayed for the Ephesians, and I'm gonna read a bit of that prayer. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and here it is, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to conclude in a few moments here. and We thank you so much for being with us. The most life-changing news that I can possibly bring to you. Uh, we, can, we can talk psychology. And listen, psychology is important. Theology, the study of God. Psychology, the study of us and our relationship to God. Those are important topics. There are many vital, important topics, but there's nothing more important than this. The most exciting news that I can possibly bring you is to tell you that Jesus became our savior because he who was sinless took on the sin of the whole world. The Bible says we were separated because of sin. It tells us that the consequence of sin is death. We're separated from a holy God. He is love. He is holiness. When we say we're good, we're comparing ourselves to one another and say, well, that's a good, that's a pretty good person, but that's not a good person. I'm better than they are. It's all comparison stuff. And then you've got Isaiah in the Bible who comes into the presence of God. He has this crazy experience with God. And he goes, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. He he recognizes that his righteousness, what he thought was righteousness, were like filthy rags compared to God. And Jesus, he he bridged the gap. He became the mediator. Through his death on the cross, paying the ultimate sacrifice, the, the sacrificial lamb Once and for all, going to the grave but then being raised from the grave, wow, there's our salvation. Nothing more I can tell you. Jesus Christ, God's only son, became a man. He never sinned. He was the only one eligible to pay the payment for my sin and for your sin. He died on a cruel cross and three days later he rose again. Death could not hold him. He won over death, and he won over the consequences of death, and everyone who places their faith in him are given the right to be called his children and to live forever. We can stand righteous before God, not because of our goodness, but because of his sacrifice. Jesus rose from the dead. I'm going to really close with several things that just sort of highlight the resurrection. All four of the gospel biographies say that Jesus rose from the dead. And these were circulated while many of the eyewitnesses were still alive. That's a pretty vital fact. Pagan and Jewish writers of that time report that Christians believed that Jesus rose from the dead. They believed it. Many of the principal eyewitnesses to the resurrection died because of their claim that Jesus was resurrected. And I mentioned that Many of their lives probably would have been spared if they recanted. But they wouldn't because they knew what they knew. The historical evidence shows that the grave was empty. The grave clothes were neatly left behind. The stone stone enclosing the tomb was rolled away. And the body of Jesus was never found. The grave had been guarded by Roman soldiers. And no one ever claimed to have stolen the body. There are, not counting Paul... The Apostle Paul, 11 recorded times that Jesus appeared to people proving that he was resurrected. And one of those appearance was with 500 believers in attendance. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15. In the very place where Jesus died and was buried, there was an explosion of growth in the Christian movement, which was centered on the claim that the grave was empty and that Jesus has truly risen. I had an opportunity to go to that Roman, ancient Roman world with my wife back in 2014. And as we traveled there, you can see the mark of Christ, the risen Christ everywhere that overtook that Roman empire. This explosion of growth happened mere weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus in the place where he died. Jesus predicted that he would die by crucifixion, be buried, and rise again. The death and resurrection of Jesus was prophesied many, many, many years before he came by prophets and multiple prophecies. And the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus took place in the context of a worldview that has insight into our human predicament like no other. It is unsurpassed in its breadth, depth, coherence, consistency, and emotional and rational power. I implore you to look into the claims of Christ and what you will find there will change you forever. Hallelujah. He is risen. Max Licato said, want to know the coolest thing about the one who gave up the crown of heaven for a crown of thorns? He did it for you, just for you. And therefore, we're going to sing it this morning live. I encourage you to sing it where you are. Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Charles Wesley. Sons of men and angels say, raise your joys and triumphs high. Sing ye heavens and earth reply. Alleluia. We're gonna sing it today, and I encourage you to, and if you don't know Jesus, now is the time. Embrace what he did for you. It's the most amazing thing in the whole world. Next Sunday, something very special is happening at RWC. We're having a Believer's Water baptism in our service. And listen, there may be some that you've taken the step of faith to invite Christ, but you've never taken that step of faith to, to be baptized, and we'll, you know, if you need some teaching on that, it comes right straight from the Bible. Jesus himself was baptized the early church. Baptized believers both water baptism and certainly the filling of the Holy Spirit that God left with them But next week we have uh, Believers water baptism so come come and join us and uh, Maybe you're at a place in your life. You're ready to do that. Let me give our benediction today finally brothers rejoice aim for restoration comfort one another agree with one another live in peace And the God of love and peace will be with you. Lord bless you.